Thanks for joining us today. We are always encouraged to know that God is using this ministry to touch lives all across the world through what He's doing right here in Murfreesboro, Illinois. Please take a moment and share what God is doing in your life by sending an email to info at cccmurphy.com. We trust that you will be blessed by today's message. to talk to you about some of the things that I see in March Madness. And today our topic is going to be getting your focus. Everybody say that with me. Would you focus? You know, sometimes it's so easy to get out of focus. Have you ever seen a picture that's out of focus? Or worse yet, have you ever been like watching a a, you know, a home movie and whoever was doing the filming got out of focus. And when it's out of focus, it's like, man, alive, you know, and you're trying to make that out and you're thinking, what were they doing? Where, where did they look? You ever seen one of those home movies when all of a sudden you're looking at somebody and the next thing you know, you're looking at the ground because they drop their hand down and they're walking along and they're filming the ground. It's easy to get out of focus. How many of you have ever been out of focus before? You say, well, how do you get out of focus, man? How many of you have a cell phone? You know, there are more accidents that are caused by cell phones probably than that's probably one of the number one issues that are among teenagers today. And it's not just teenagers anymore, it's adults. I saw some guy going down the road the other day texting and I looked in the mirror and said, you quit doing that. (laughs) Because it, it will rob your focus, and it could cost you your life. Now, Debbie, have you seen that, you know, the new craze now is everybody walking and looking at their cell phone. Debbie told me she was walking around the church. She was, you know, getting her laps in, and man, she was moving. You know, when that girl walks, she's moving, and she's walking around, and all of a sudden, she made that corner, and well, she didn't quite make the corner. She smacked her head in the wall and came in with a big old knot on her head, and, and I said, what happened to you? She said, well, I was looking at my cell phone life, one of the challenges of life is focusing on the right thing. There, there's so many times that, that we're able to focus, but we're focused on the wrong things. When these college teams come together this next month, they're going to have to have their focus. Now, they do what they call scouts, and that's when they go and they look at who they're going to play, and as they begin to look at each player and their strengths and their weaknesses, and they'll talk about that. But if that's their only focus, then they're destined to failure because they have to be focused on their game. Everybody say, my game. See, if if you're not careful, what happens is you're focused on somebody else's game. Let me say it this way. What happens to us is we tend to focus on somebody else's life instead of focusing on our own life. And it's easy to look at somebody else and look at them and try and live your life vicariously through them. You can say, oh, I wish I had that or I wish I had their money or I wish I had. But all of those things come with their own set of problems and circumstances. And so if you're not careful, you get so caught up with looking at others that you forget to Look inward. Everybody say, I need to take a good look at me. You know, I I, I can tell you right now, I don't have any problem at all picking out all your faults. (laughs) You got time after service, we'll talk about it. (laughs) But what happens is when we start trying to recognize our own faults, and I've told this to people for years, I said it's something I learned early on in life, and that's this. That if I'll learn to be transparent with God and see and recognize what's wrong with me, then I won't have to worry about somebody else judging me because I've already judged myself. 
You know, it's always easy. And I think about games, you know, we've got, I think, I think we got some ball players here today. I'm not sure. I can't see with these lights in my eyes, but the one, one, I had to back off of playing ball because I, I would get so intense. You say, well, what, what's wrong with that? Well, when you knock somebody up in the bleachers, that's not, that, that's not the way you play the game. I had a guy, you know, I, I was so intense. And I, was, I was running down court. They made a fast break. I was running down court. And the guy was just about to shoot it. And, man, I sent him sailing into the bleachers. I know it is awful. <laughs> I didn't think so at the time. I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> That referee teed me up and I turned around and walked toward him and he pointed that finger, I'll throw you out of here. But sometimes what happens is we allow anger or we allow frustration or we allow bitterness or we allow hurt to begin to control our life and throw us out of focus. What somebody did to you once upon a time You've never been able to forgive them, and what you don't understand is that you're holding on to it has kept you captive, not them. They're living their life and probably not even thinking about you. But we continue to carry it, and we can't get our focus off of it. We have to focus on what's in, just not what's in front of us, but what's in store for us. Everybody say, focus. I thought about how that when, you, you ever notice that uh, if you watch the NBA, they do what they call trash talk. And they, what they're trying to do is get in your head. And if they can get in your head, then they get your focus off of the game. I never forget, how many of you know who John Wayne was? You know, I mean, who could, who could live their life without knowing John Wayne? I'll never forget in one of his, his movies, one of my favorite movies that he ever did was called El Dorado. How many of you saw El Dorado? You remember that? You, you remember when they're getting ready and he's talking about, uh, you know, that he meets this other gunfighter and they're, they're talking and the gunfighter's trying to get, you know, hire him to come and help him take out a sheriff. But the sheriff he's going to take out is John Wayne's friend. And so he says, no, I think I'll pass on that. And then as they, he begins to head to El Dorado and one of his sidekicks is saying, he's going to get pretty mad when he finds out that you, you're going to be on the other side. And he said, I hope so. He said, what do you mean? He said, because the madder he gets, the better I like it. He said, the madder he gets, then he's not so good anymore. He said, you can't afford to get mad in a business like this. And I thought, Wow. Man, that could preach. <laughs> because what happens is sometimes we get so angry and we get so aggravated that we let it take us off of our focus and our focus ought to be where? On him. Everybody say on him. And when we get our focus off of God, it messes us up. Think about this. People that are trained to spot counterfeit money don't study counterfeit money. They study the real thing. They keep it in front of them. They always look at it. They're always focused on it. And so they get to know it so well that when anything counterfeit shows up, they're automatically able to spot it because they've spent so much time with the real thing. Look, there have been folks that have gone to church, you know, and, I, and I, I've always said this. I'm not really into religion. I'm into a relationship with God. I, I, I don't care about the frills of, of, of religion. I, I'm just telling you there's a reality in serving God that when you get your focus on him and you keep it off of everything else, as you focus on him, then when you begin to have moments in life that are difficult to navigate, it makes it easier to get through the storm because you already have seen the master of the wind. You've already got your focus on him. I want to talk to you today for just a little while about a man in Scripture that lost his focus. I thought about, I think, I believe it's in Peter where he, he says, 
You know, the devil, or the scripture tells us that we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. So we know how he operates, but it, it tells us something else. That if I'm focused on just the enemy and his devices, I'm messing up. Because the scripture tells us, submit yourself therefore unto God. If you'll let me say it to you this way, get your focus on God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You or I don't have the ability to resist the devil on our own. If we're not submitted to God, if we're not focused on God, we're going to end up falling victim to the enemy. So this, you know, Israel's in trouble, and Israel's in trouble because they lost their focus. This all starts in the book of Judges, the 13th chapter of Judges. Let me read a scripture for you. In Genesis, I'm sorry, Genesis, in Judges 13, and one, it said, once again, Israel sinned by worshiping other gods. So the Lord let them be conquered by the Philistines who kept them in subjection for 40 years. Everybody say, that's a long time. I've met folks that their entire life has been ruled by someone else because of something that happened. And that's just too long to let somebody else rule your life. So why, why is Israel in trouble? It's because they got their focus off. They're not focused on God. They're focused on all kinds of gods, on other gods. Well, what kind of God? Look, anything that you can make with your hand, if you have to make it a God, it ain't a God. <laughs> Wood, stone, silver, gold, they, they, they're, they're focused on all that. And they've lost their focus on the true God that literally brought them to the place that they're living in. And so because of that focus, they, they, they end up in a mess. Can I ask you a question? How many of you, because of your focus in life, got yourself in a mess? Now, how many of you in here are lying right now because you didn't lift your hand up? <laughs> what are you saying? I'm saying this, that we've all been there, haven't we? I'm not pointing a finger at you and saying, oh, you messed up. I've had enough of my own messes to deal with. What I'm telling you is this, is that without God, we can't do it right. We're going to get it wrong. And so they've gotten it wrong, and God promises them a deliverer, that he's going to begin. That's what the scripture says in the fifth verse, that he will begin to deliver Israel. Everybody say, you can't just start the race. You have to finish it. I'll never forget, man, I was in, I forget what grade I was in. I, I was about five foot five and weighed 185 pounds. I was proportioned just right. We started, we, we had what was called the 600-yard dash at our school. And I took off and left all those skinny boys behind. I did, man. I took off, and I thought, man, wow. I was, man, I was just with it. And I, I had my focus on the finish line. Until we made that first backstop. We ran to that first backstop, and all of a sudden, I was lacking something. It was called energy. <laughs> I started, you ever run until you feel like you got a knife sticking up and underneath your rib? And I started running, and all those skinny boys I passed, passed me. As a matter of fact, they had, they'd run off and left me, and now there's nobody even in the race except me. Now, I'm saying that for a reason, because if you're not careful, you're going to get your focus on everybody else. And when everybody else passes you by, you're going to want to give up the race. Perseverance is about completing the race just because you want to, because it's in you. I'm not just going to start this thing. I'm going to finish it. It's not about whoever crosses the finish line first. It's about crossing the finish line. One of the greatest moments in history was in the Olympics when a man by the name of Douglas, or I believe it was called Stephen Aquari, had, was in 
the Olympics and he had fallen and hurt his leg. They had bandaged him up. He was bleeding. He was running a marathon. And the people, the, the guy that first crossed had crossed more than an hour before him. But people were still in that arena. And when he came through, his leg was bleeding. He was limping. He was barely able to make it. But when he crossed the finish line, that place broke out in applause because that man showed something that no one else did and that was the will to do it even when nobody was going to acknowledge him and so he crossed I you know they all passed me by I'm I'm man I'm I'm hurting and honestly I thought about just walking off the track until the guys that had passed me started calling to me and they said come on Rick you can do it don't give up now and there was something about their voices that put a fire back in me. Something about their voices that made me want to run even though I was hurting. That made me want to keep going even though I knew I wasn't going to get first, second, or third place. I, I was going to have that glorious moment of being known as the last person to cross the finish line. But I wanted to cross the finish line. And I kept going. You know, the scripture said, seeing that we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us run the race that's been set before us with patience. Don't, don't give up. Don't give in. Just because you're, you're not going to get through life without difficulties and challenges. You're not going to get through life floating on a cloud and walking on water. You're going to find days that you don't want to get out of bed, but you get out of bed anyway because there's someone that believes in you. He gave his life on Calvary for you. He'd rather die for you than live without you. He believes. So he's asking us to believe. Let me just, before I get into the, Sam, or the, the story of Samson, I just gave it away. That's the guy I'm talking about. I want you to watch this clip because if you get your focus off for a moment, it could cost you. Go ahead. such a thing as celebrating too soon <laughs> get your focus off the game for just a second and it can cost you the game get your focus off of God and it can cost you your life because he's the one that gave us life you say well what do I owe God you owe him your life in the beginning, God created the heavens. He breathed life into you. And can I tell you that when he did, nobody ever came into this world without a purpose, without a reason for being here. God believes in you. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And that plan and purpose may be you inspiring someone else to serve him. Everybody say, keep your focus. So Israel got their focus off. Along comes Samson. His wife, I mean, not his wife, his mother and his father are given instructions by an angel concerning his life and concerning what it would be. He would be a deliverer. Can you imagine the anticipation? What if you were called out? Who, where's uh, Ashley? Is she in here? Wave your hand at me if you're in here. I don't see her. Is she here? Ashley, stand up a second. 
Everybody turn around and look at her. I'm, not, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to embarrass you, but she's packing. And what, I, what I'm, I'm saying that to say this, can you imagine that, thank you, you can be seen. Can you imagine that if somebody, if all of a sudden an angel appeared to you, Ashley, and said, you're carrying the next president of the United States. Wow. This woman was told that she was carrying the next deliverer of Israel. They had been in bondage for, it would be a total of 40 years. And, 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 and look, man, their crops were being stolen. They, they were being beaten and enslaved by the Philistines. Don't you know they wanted a deliverer? Don't you know she was happy when she found out her boy was going to do it? Amen. But then he didn't do it the way she thought he ought to. Why? There's something seems to be wrong with Samson's focus. Because when you start following Samson's life, what you find out is everybody knows who he is. I mean, you know, they, they know that he's the one. You think that kind of secret's going to stay his secret? Everybody knows that he's supposed to deliver Israel, but there's something about his focus. There's something about Samson where he just doesn't feel like that, that, that for some reason... He just doesn't get it. Now, the scripture said that the Spirit of God would move him at times. How many of you have ever been moved by the Spirit of God? It would move him at times. He would feel God come over him, but he didn't know what to do with what he was feeling. Look, I've been in services before where I've seen the Spirit of God move people and they didn't know what to do with it. I was in a service one time, man, my brother was so messed up on drugs. He, he came to a service and, and all of a sudden the spirit of God started dealing with him. He was sitting there. I saw tears start streaming down his face and he was wiping him and he was looking at me saying, it sure is hot in here. I wouldn't say a word to him. You just sat there and suffer. <laughs> I knew what was going on. God was dealing with him. And I didn't want to break that. God was moving him and he didn't know what to do with that. I've seen folks, I'll never forget when we were traveling. We traveled for over 20 years, and we were traveling, and a lady came up, and she was strung out on heroin, and I went to pray for her, and when I laid my hand on her head, she felt the Spirit of God hit her. Man, she grabbed my hand and held it like that. Her eyes got about that big because she felt something she never felt before. So, will you really believe in that? Look, if you're serving a God that you can't feel, he ain't God. If it, the Bible said that no man can see God and live. So if you can't see God and live, something's got to happen when he touches you. Something. Now, look, I don't live my life built on emotions, but there's a time in my life that I got real emotional when God touched me. And the truth was, is I didn't know what to do with it. I said in that service that night, man, felt God dealing with me. I was looking around thinking, man, where's the back door? Got up and walked to the front, had two people following me, and I thought, what's this all about? You remember, you know what I'm talking about? That was when folks used to follow you to the altar. Man, I didn't even know what an altar was, and here two people following me. One's saying, hold on, the other's saying, turn loose. <laughs> you know, it's amazing that God saves us in the midst of all that. <laughs> he just reaches down and shows himself real. And so Samson didn't know what to do with what he was feeling. It would move him at times, but it didn't move him to start delivering. And it didn't move him to become a leader. I want you to think about it. As strong as this guy is, and he can't rally the forces of Israel to stand behind him. I thought about another judge in Israel. His name was Gideon. Gideon wasn't strong at all. He's scared to death, man. Angel showed up and told him he was supposed to deliver. He said, are you kidding me? I'm the least in my father's house. You got the wrong guy. But he believed what God told him, and God so inspired him when he moved him that he rallied so many Israelites that God said, no, you can't take all these men into battle because they'll think they won the war, so you send part of them home. He had 32,000 men show up, and he said, now you've got too many here. Send part of them home. And he asked this question, who's ever afraid, leave? And he lost 22,000 people. 
You know, courage isn't the, the absence of fear. It's just doing what's right in the midst of it. It's just doing it anyway. And then he lost... He, he said, you still got too many men. He takes him from 32,000 down to 300, and he said, now you can go and fight these folks. Gideon had been able to rally that many people. Samson couldn't rally them. And I thought about, God, Samson, what's the deal? And maybe it's because Samson's focus. You know, the first time that you see Samson really get focused is he, when he sees a woman. Read the story. It says that he sees a woman down in Timnah, a Philistine woman of all things. And he goes home and he tells dad, he said, hey, I like that way that woman looks. Get her for me. But, you know, it almost sounds like you're shopping at Walmart. I'll take that one. But they had to, he had to go and, and, and arrange, you know, and, and he, his dad and his mom, are, I mean, they're not happy about this. They said, are you kidding me? You're supposed to be a deliverer for Israel, and you're going to go down there and marry one of the enemy? What is up with that? And he said, I want you to get her for me, you know. And a guy that can rip a lion apart, you don't really argue with. And so they, they go down, but it said that his mother and father didn't know that God was using it. And I thought about this. Because sometimes we read that scripture and, and, and we think, well, this was, this was God's plan. But I've lived long enough to know that sometimes when you won't act on what God's told you to do, he's got a way of even using your mistakes to turn it around for his glory. Aren't you glad of that? Hey, folks, if, I'd, if, 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 if my success had been based on me doing everything right, I'd be in trouble. But aren't you glad that God's merciful enough that even when we get some things wrong, that he's able to turn it around for us? And so he uses this. He's got, you know, he can't, apparently Samson's having trouble getting his focus on God, but he's got it on this girl. So God says, well, I'll use the girl. And so he goes down, you know, the stories, he goes down, he, they, he, he, when he shows up, you know, they're going to do the wedding feast. They prearrange these marriages and Samson apparently didn't have a lot of friends because they had to hire 30 guys to come in and be his friends. They get 30 companions to come in and he says, hey, I'm going to put a riddle to you. And he says, you know, and he gives them a riddle and he says, you got until the end of the feast and they can't figure it out. And the bet is 30 changes of Babylon or of garments of, of, of these nice garments. And, and so they can't figure it out. And they start putting pressure on his fiance. And they said, hey, you got to find out, man. And as a matter of fact, they got so intense on this. They said, did you bring us to this feast to make us look like idiots? Did you bring us down here to to cause us to become poor, you, you better find out the answer to this riddle or we'll burn you and your father alive. And so she lays heavy on Samson and begins to ask, you know, what's the riddle? What's the riddle? Well, I, don't, I haven't even told my mom and dad. You think I'm going to tell you? Oh, if you love me, you're going to tell me. If you love me, you're going to tell. Girls, when you hear a guy say, if you love me, just stop him right there. Because I'm going to tell you this, loving someone isn't about a notch in your belt. It's about doing what's right, even when you feel like doing what's wrong. Amen. Man, it got quiet in here. <laughs> it's not about what you want. It's about doing what's right. It's about surrendering your will to the will of God. And all of a sudden, you know, so they go in and, and, and she finally, he finally tells her. They come back to Samson and they give him the answer to his riddle. And he's so mad. He looks at him and he said, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you'd have never found out this riddle. I can tell you that's a good way to get it upside your head, guys. Call your wife a heifer. He said, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, I mean, he's upset, man. And he goes out and he kills 30 men and brings back those garments. And it's Samson's beginning of spiraling down. But it's God's way. See, sometimes God's got to let you hit bottom to get you to look up. 
Sometimes God's got to allow you to go down just to get you to look up. And so you know what happens? He, he goes from that place. And when he goes from there and they, he, he goes out and he's mad and he goes home and then he comes back, you know, he's forgiven his wife and he comes back and finds out that they let her marry his best friend or his best man, his companion there. And he looked and he thought, are you kidding me? You just did that to me? I can tell you I'd be upset if I came home and found out my wife had married someone else. I got a feeling it's not going to be a good thing. Samson goes out, he catches 300 foxes, ties their tails together, sets firebrands in it, and sets them through all the corn. Man, he burns up their harvest. They get mad. They said, what is going on? Who did that? And they said, Samson did it because his father-in-law let his, let, you know, gave his wife to another man. And then they went and burnt his father-in-law and his wife alive in their home. Samson finds out, and now, man, he saw, buddy, I'm, I am getting, and, and now he is so aggravated, he goes out, and the scripture said that he began to slay them hip and thigh. Everybody say hip and thigh. In other words, he, he began to retaliate against the Philistines, and they, they chase him down, and they find him in a cave, and when they get to that cave where he's at, they're asking, they're, they've come and all the Israelites come out and say, what are you doing here? They said, we've come for Samson. You know, it's one thing for your enemy to come after you, but it's another thing for your family to give you up into the hand of your enemy. The Bible said that 3,000 men of Judah, 3,000 of Samson's relatives showed up at that cave to deliver him to the hand of the enemy. Does that not seem strange to you? Why didn't 3,000 of them stand behind him and say, Samson, come on, we're with you. We can defeat the enemy. But friend, when everybody turns against you, you need to remember that God hasn't. God's still got a plan for your life. He's still got a purpose for you. They, they looked at him and Samson said, you promised me that you're not going to try and kill me. They said, we promised. So he allowed them to tie him up with ropes. And when he goes in and he goes from the, from the hand of his family, delivered to the hand of the enemy, and all the Philistines started to shout against him, this time, for the first time maybe in his life, where, when it was concerning the enemy, he knew what to do to defend himself. He knew what to do when things were going bad and a lion came after him. But to get his focus and his mind wrapped around God's purpose in his life had always escaped him until now and now when he's got a thousand of the enemy breathing down his neck and he begins to feel the spirit of God move him he knows what to do those ropes bust off him he takes out a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey a thousand men and people say oh you know that's just that that, that, that can't be true have you ever been have you ever seen lightning strike a building GE made a plant where they were going to try and harness a lightning bolt. And when they put those, whatever those rods were up in the air during that storm to harness that lightning bolt, that lightning bolt hit that and it blew up every engine and all the components that they had put together trying to harness that energy. I'm telling you that in that moment, Samson felt the Spirit of God come on him, and it was like lightning in his fists. It was like thunder in his heart, and he began to respond, and a thousand men lay dead. And it got Samson's focus back on God. Because right after that encounter, it said, that Samson judged Israel for 20 years. Right after the battle, it's there, why? Because the writer's trying to communicate something. The writer's trying to let us see that the moment that Samson learned how to focus on God Amen. instead of himself, he was able to step into what God had called him to do. Everybody say, 
time passes by. How many of you know when time passes by, sometimes we get a little lax? I used to be a size 44 chat. Now, look, I, I, I told you about what size I was when I was running that marathon. But when Debbie met me, I was a size 44 chest and a 32 waist. Now my waist is caught up with my chest. <laughs> what happened? Time passed by. <laughs> Got a little lax. I'll, you know, anybody else have that happen to you? <laughs> we just get a little, a little lax and Samson begin to get a little lax. Now, here's the problem about getting lax. When you get lax, your focus can change. Now, the Scripture says right after, right after, in the, the last verse in the 15th chapter of Judges, it says that, and, and Samson judged Israel for 20 years. Right after, with the beginning of the 16th verse, and it says he went down to Gaza, and there he saw a harlot and went into her. I don't know what he was in Gaza for. Gaza was, man, it was one of the most fortified cities of the Philistines. Samson had judged Israel. There had been years that passed. This doesn't happen right after that battle. Years had passed. And Samson goes down to Gaza. And I don't know why he's going down there. It's a Philistine city. Maybe he's going down there to say, God, what do you want me to do? He's not afraid to show up in the stronghold of the enemy. He's not intimidated by the enemy, and the devil knows what you're not intimidated by. He's not going to use that against you. He's going to find your weakness and try to get you to focus on that. Amen. And so a harlot showed up. <laughs> yeah, come on, guys. You ever had a, a girl pay attention to you? No, never. Well, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, you know, he she casts his eyes on on him, and 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 he he he's just he his focus gets off. And here's the deal, man. Once you get out, have you ever put on somebody else's glasses to try and look at the world? What happens? You you take them off and you look at the other person. You go, man, you're blind. And your, your glasses, your eyes may be worse than theirs. But see, those glasses are developed for you to see clearly. Amen. When you're trying to start view the world, when you begin to try and view the world through someone else's paradigm instead of God's, you've got to have, you, you need to learn how to View the world as God views it, Amen. which means a couple of things. One is you're not going to run after the wrong thing, and the other is you're not going to become judgmental. For God so loved the world that he gave, he sacrificed. Not because the world was right, but because the world needed help. Everybody say, that's me. Look, we all need help. And all of a sudden, he, he, he's got his focus off. He goes into that woman. Every, and look what happens. As soon as his focus is off, it almost cost him his life. All the people in Gaza find out that Samson's there, and they say, man, we're going to get him. We're going to lay in wait for him. So they hang out at night, and he finds out that they're out there. And at midnight, Samson goes out. He grabs the gates of that city, lifts them up, and walks up to the top of a mountain with him. If we're not careful, we allow one victory to cause us to feel like we're invincible. Amen. Oh, come on. We're talking about March Madness. How many times have you seen an upset with a major team? And it was because they got cocky and they thought, well, those, that, that team doesn't stand a chance in playing us. I watched, I think it was two years ago in the college uh, with the college basketball when I think it was Kentucky that got taken out and, and, and everybody was just shocked. They couldn't believe it. And I was watching it and I was smiling. <laughs> What are you doing that for? Because that's where I was at when I was watching it. I was on an elliptical in the gym, and I was watching that ball game, man. And I, I think I ran for about 20 miles that day because I didn't want to get off till it was over. And I was watching, and what, well, why, why? I didn't even know the other team. I didn't follow them. I was just for the underdog. Yeah. When Jesus came, he didn't come to the religious elite. He didn't come to just a select few but he was born in a manger. 
He came in the most humble way you could come into the world. Why? Because he wanted every man to know that no one was outside of his reach. That he came for everyone. So he goes off and the next thing you know, man, the very next verse after he's been with that harlot, the very next verse is he, he falls in love with some lady by the name of Delilah down in a valley called Sorek. Everybody say he's in trouble now. He's in a few places he ought to be. The name Sorek means vine. He was supposed to stay away from the vine. The name Delilah means languishing and that's what's getting ready to happen to him if he keeps hanging around with her. And his focus is not on God anymore, and it says that he loves her. Isn't it amazing what we call love sometimes? I'm not going to ask you what your wife was wearing the first time you fell in love with her. But I promise you it probably wasn't a compassionate feeling that said, I want to spend the rest of my life with her. It was probably raging hormones that said, ooh, she looks fine. He falls in love. That's what he said. He fell in love with her, but he's hanging in the wrong place. Now, watch what happens. The Lord, you think that the enemy isn't out to try and get you. The Bible said that the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he's got on his agenda is to take you out. And if we don't keep our focus on God, he's, he's going to be successful in that. So what happens is the Lord of the Philistines go down. They tell Delilah, each one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. The first gold digger. 1,100 pieces of silver if you'll find out the secret of his strength. Now, look, I know movies paint Delilah as, well, she really loved him. And, and it, 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 Scripture doesn't say that about her at all. As a matter of fact, if you read Scripture, she makes sure they give her the money before she gives them the secret. She's got her eye on a BMW. She got, there's some stuff this girl wants, and she doesn't care who she's got to sell out to get it. And so... And this is what I don't get about Samson. Because the first time she would ask me, what's the secret of your strength? I'd say, what's it any of your business? Thank you, whoever did that. <laughs> say, but you don't understand. I know, she was waving the perfume. She said, let me slip into something more comfortable. Walked in and said, now tell me the secret of your strength. And he said, Wow. You, you get seven bowstrings that have never been dried, seven you know, bowstrings that have been dried, and you, you bind me with those, and I'll be like any other man. And so they bring them to her. She doesn't even have to go after this stuff, man. They bring it to her, you know, and, and he, she ties him up with it, and she says, Samson, the Philistines are on you. He pops them and starts looking around. You'd have thought he'd have got a clue then, but he doesn't. He pops the string, and she said, you've lied to me. You don't love me. What's the secret of strength? He said, well, you get, and I'm telling you, honestly, I've, I've, you know, I've been a Christian for several years. I've been preaching for several years. And I, to this day, I can't get my mind wrapped around why he's doing this. She's telling him she wants to find out how she can make him weak. And he's playing a game he ought never to have started to play in the beginning. You know, you, you play Russian roulette, you're going to get it sooner or later. And he says, well, get, get ropes that have never been used, brand new ropes, and bind me with those and I'll be like any other man. She gets the new ropes, comes, next time he comes for a date, she's got new ropes. Come here, boy. Ties him up. He popped those, Samson, the Philistines aren't, he popped those like they're threaded, goes out, Samson, you've lied to me. You said you love me. You don't love me. I'd been looking at her saying, I don't think you love me either. Why are you trying to keep finding out where my strength is? The devil is looking for your weak point. Look, folks have got to get this because this is what I see all the time. I see folks that will condemn and judge each other because somebody falls victim to a temptation that doesn't bother them at all. 
hey, you just keep living. The devil knows your weak point. And if you get your focus off of God, he's going to use it against you. So when somebody else is falling victim, don't ridicule them, pray for them. He said, you take my seven locks. I wish I had seven locks. He said, you take, the, you, you take the seven braids of my hair and weave them into a loom and, 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 and fasten them with a pen and I'll be weak like any other man. And she does it, man. He lays there and lets her weave his hair into an afghan or whatever she was making. You know, she, and, and, and when he gets done with it, then all of a sudden she said, the Philistines are on you. And he jumps up and he, he takes off and rips his hair out of that. And she said, you lied to me. This guy... Now, come on, let's be honest. This is pretty dense, isn't it? I mean, you're talking about three times this girl has tried to find out your weak, and she will not lay off. As a matter of fact, the Bible said that the reason he finally gave in is because she just kept nagging him. There's a scripture, ladies, don't get offended at this. There's a scripture that says that it's better to dwell in on, on the rooftop than in the house with a contentious woman. How many of you guys ever slept on the roof? Well, the equivalent today, the translation for roof from Hebrew today would be couch. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You, you just, you, you get separated because all of a sudden, and he finally gives in and it all comes because he's lost his focus. God gave him several opportunities to get it back. He didn't fall victim the first time she tried. But when you just keep messing around and messing around and messing around, sooner or later it's going to catch up to you. Amen. And he finally looked at her and he said, I've made a commitment to God from the time of my birth. Can I tell you that we have to? Not from the time that I came into the world, but the time I was born again. I made a commitment to God. And the devil is always trying to find the weakness. Trying to find out how he can take you out. And we all know that there have been times in our life that he's come close. But for the mercy of God. But what he does is... This is why Jesus said, don't cast your pearl before swine, lest they turn again and rend you. What's that mean? It's saying, look, if you're going to bear your soul to someone and talk about how much your relationship with God means, and you know all they're going to do is criticize you and ridicule you for it, then don't share it. Because all, all that's going to do is tear you on the inside. He, he spills it. I've, I've never had my hair cut. I've been a Nazarite. I took on the vow of a Nazarite from my birth, and I've never, razors never touched my hair, and all my strength is in my hair. But that really wasn't true. His strength was in his relationship with God Amen. and his commitment with God. Amen. His hair symbolized it. His hair symbolized it, but his strength was in the relationship. Look, me standing up here, do you understand? I'm just a guy that found the reality of a God that loved me. If I never preach another message, I'm not walking away from him. Because my life is wrapped up in him. Samson tells it all, and, and she knows that he has. She tells him, come one more time. I promise you this time he's told me his whole heart. Because, friend, when you start telling someone your heart, it sounds different. <laughs> he caused, she caused him to fall asleep. In her lap, Josephus recorded that he gave her, or that she gave him a sedative, something that would make him fall asleep. Josephus, the historian. And he fell asleep, and she called for 
a barber, one of the Philistines, and they came in and they cut off his hair. And she watched it, snip by snip. This hero, this champion, become weak and defeated. It's never recorded that she regretted it. It is recorded that she collected it. She collected the money. And then she yelled, Samson, the Philistines are on you. And Samson got up and he went to shake himself. He went to see, to, to move, the spirit to move him. Let me feel you, God. Let me sense you. And said they didn't know that God had left him because he'd sacrificed his relationship for a moment of pleasure. That just cost too much, folks. Just cost too much. They took Samson and they gouged out his eyes. And they led him to prison. And made him grind at a mill. Mill. <laughs> and there's a little verse in there that I think sometimes we misunderstand. It said, albeit his hair began to grow. I don't know why they didn't keep cutting his hair. Maybe they felt like that his God would want nothing to do with him now because of how badly he had failed, which just lets me know they didn't understand the mercy and the grace of God. <laughs> and to this day, people still struggle with that. You know, you, you, you fall, you mess up, and they'll leave you in the dirt and walk over you and spit on you and say, I knew you were never nothing. But let me tell you, there's a God in heaven that says, if you'll just humble yourself, if you'll just turn your face to me, I'll lift you up. It's not his will that any should perish. There's a, there's a thief hanging with him on the cross. His life has been a mess. His life has been undone. But in one moment, he looks at Jesus, and he sees more than just a man. And he said, remember me. Why would you ask a guy whose back is ripped open and plowed like a field to remember you? Why would you ask someone that's struggling to breathe as they hang on a cross to remember you? Why would you ask someone that had been beaten beyond recognition to remember you unless you recognize he's more than just a man? He said, remember me. I don't want to be forgotten. I, I, I shared this. I want to share it one more time. I'm going to ask Deb to come up. I, when I traveled, I, I used to go into graveyards. Don't go out of here thinking I'm some kind of nut. But I, I used to like to go through, it's old cemeteries especially, and look at tombstones. When I was in... Vicksburg, Mississippi, and I walked through that battlefield, and I know that a lot of people went in, and all they saw were white markers. But when I looked at it, I saw soldiers stretched out across the field battling for what they thought was right. And I thought about their struggles. I thought about their life and how it ended. I was in a place called Plainview, Arkansas, man on the opposite side of the world. I mean, it's just out in the middle of nowhere. Came up on an old cemetery on a gravel road. And I, I had been praying and just out meditating. And I walked through that cemetery and I spotted a tombstone. And it was of a woman. She lived in the early 1900s or died actually in the early 1900s. And the epitaph said to, it, it said, a wonderful mother, a wonderful wife, and my best friend. I walked away from there and I literally just started talking to God and I said, 
God, somehow it doesn't seem right to me that someone that meant so much to so many would lay here forgotten. Man, I, you remember me talking about the spirit moving you? It happened out in that cemetery. I, I didn't hear an audible voice, but in the back of my head, this is what I heard. I haven't forgotten her. And I tell you that no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, God has not forgotten you. you say, but pastor, I blew it. I messed up. I, I, it could never be the way that it was. I don't want to live in the past. I, I can't keep looking back saying, I wish this would have happened or I wish that would have happened. All I can do is say, God, here I am. Right here, right now, use me. That's what Samson did. They put Samson in that prison to grind at that mill. And one day they brought him out in front of all of the Philistines to gloat over him. Scripture said they made sport of him. They, they laughed at him. The Israelite champion, they spit on him. They had a little kid leading them around. Scripture called him a lad. And he heard all those voices praising Dagon, a god of stone. And right there in the middle of what seemed like his most horrific defeat, he prayed that same prayer that the thief did. Remember me. Let me feel your strength one more time. God, move me one more time. And he looked at the, he asked the little boy, he said, let me, let me lean against the pillars that hold this building. I, I want to rest. And when he put his hands against those pillars, And he began to feel a God that he thought had forgotten him. A God that he thought had no use for him, did not want him. And he felt God move him one more time. And the Bible said that in that moment, in his, his last hour, became his finest hour. He killed more Philistines in that moment than he had in his entire life. When Jesus saw that woman caught in adultery and all those people were standing around looking and they looked at him and he said, the law says, stoner, what do you say? And Jesus stooped down and began to write he stood back up and he said, I'll tell you what, whoever of you that doesn't have any sin, let him cast the first stone. <laughs> that woman had laid there hunkered down. She'd been embarrassed. She'd been ashamed and she expected to die that day. But instead of feeling stones crush her bones, she felt the hand of God lift her face. <laughs> When he said, woman, where are your accusers? She looked around, those guys had dropped rocks and walked off, they were embarrassed. And he, she said, Lord, I don't have any. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Don't fall into this same trap. Don't lose your focus again. Get your focus and keep it. Because you're going to need to have it to get through this world. There was a film one time years ago and called it some mad mad world march madness teams competing teams trying to focus teams trying to find that sweet spot the sweet 16 
they'll never be able to do it by just focusing on their adversary. They got to focus on their game. You're going to have to focus. You can't, you can't go through life focusing on everybody else. Well, I, I'm just as good as they are. I'm just as good as they are. Well, they may be going to hell too. Don't do that. This isn't about you and them. This is about you and him. Get your focus on him. You get one shot at life, you get one chance to live this life. I pray to God that when I leave this place, that people will say that I had an impact on their life. I don't want to go through this life and die having done nothing. Samson felt like it's over. His life was wasted. He failed miserably. Yet somehow... He found the mercy of God when he needed it most. Amen. How about you? Do you need some mercy today? Do you need God to help you? God will help you get your focus if you let him. I'm going to share the story and we're going to end with this today. I was reading the story, it's a true story about a young man, he was in Florida and he had been, he was visiting with a couple there. The lady's name was Dorothy Nichols. She and her husband were visiting with this young couple that were their neighbors. And the young man just opened up and started to talk about his life when he was younger. And he said, you know, he said, I got into trouble when I was a young man, I ended up in a reformatory school and when I got out, I tried to get a job and nobody would hire me because of my record. And he said, and I got kind of desperate and he said, so I, I stole my dad's car and his gun. And I went to a local service station and walked in and there was a lady that was on duty that was there attending the register and he said I was just about to rob her when I looked up and I saw a sign he said the sign read God is our security guard always on the job he said I thought man I can't rob this place he said I went home he said I ended up praying all night long <laughs> asking God to help me asking God to come into my life and God did and it transformed the young man he was telling this, you know, it was back in his hometown in, in North Carolina, and he's telling this to this Florida couple, and all of a sudden the lady looked over at her husband, and they, they, they started looking at each other, and they thought, man, what's going on? The guy said, what's going on? He said, and they, then they shared the story with him. He said, years ago, we lived in North Carolina, had a service station. I made a sign for my husband. He asked me to make it. It said, God is our security guard, and he's always on the job. He'd robbed, he'd almost robbed that woman. <laughs> God can bring you all the way back and let you see what life can be if you'll just embrace him. Just embrace him. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do today. Would you stand with me today? You need to get your focus right. You need to make him the center of your life. Remember, God will only be number one because he doesn't know how to be number two. He's not going to be. He, he told you up front. Somebody said, well, I don't, I don't like that. I didn't write the book. <laughs> he said, I'm the Lord your God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I mean, if you think of it, that's really not asking too much, is it? Because after all, we wouldn't even be here if it hadn't been for him. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do today. If you're in this place now, Look, we, we've got prayer rooms on the back of each corner when service is over. If you've got things that you need to pray about, there'll, there'll be prayer partners back there to pray with you. But right now, I want your focus on him. And I want you to ask yourself this question. God, am I out of focus? Am I letting things become more important to me than you are? Am I allowing life to distract me? 
Am I allowing people to manipulate me because they're controlling me emotionally? Instead of giving it to you, I keep carrying it myself. That can all change right now in just a moment. Jesus said, I came that you could have life and have it more abundantly. What's he saying? He's saying, I want the best for you. Scripture says it's not his will that any should perish. He wants us all, not just to experience life, but to have abundant life. So I'm going to ask you, if you're in this place, to pray this prayer with me. If you're out of focus, if if you need to say yes, just pray this simple prayer with me right now. God, here I am. I'm asking you to come into my heart and get me focused. I need you, God. I turn my back on everything that has distracted me from your presence. And I ask you today to forgive me. Save me. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior right now. I believe that you raised him from the dead. And from this moment on, I claim you as the Lord of my life. Come on and give me a hand clap of praise in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, now look, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, There are angels that are rejoicing in heaven right now. If you just prayed the prayer, all you did was waste air. But if you meant it from your heart, a change is coming for you. Everybody say, thank God for the change. We hope you've been touched by today's message. I wanted to take a moment and just remind you how very much God loves you. The apostle Peter tells us that it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In the book of Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, God speaks through the prophet and tells us that I know what my plans are for you, that they're plans for good and not for destruction, to give you a future and a hope. That's what God wants for your life. He has a plan and a purpose designed specifically for you. And you can walk into that plan and purpose by just asking him in your heart today. I wonder if you'd take a moment right now and just stop wherever you're at and pray this prayer with me. God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. Lord, I believe that Jesus was crucified on my behalf, that you raised him from the dead so that I could have life. And right now, I accept you as my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart, we believe that angels are rejoicing in heaven because you've come home. Now the important thing is for you to find a good Bible-believing church and become a part of that as you continue your journey with Jesus. We want to invite you to come and be with us any chance you get. Until then, remember, Jesus loves you and we do too.